Today, we span the spectrum from hate to love. We discuss the difference between scuba diving and podcasting on social media. We ponder our own hypocrisy when talking about sin, all on the way to answering the question, is that in the Bible? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. So today, we look at a familiar Christian adage, love the sinner, hate the sin. It's such a popular Christian mantra. Perhaps we should see if it's even in the Bible, and if so, where is it? When I was in my first year of seminary, I was taking a class on preaching, and we gathered just once a week for this class for three hours. Yes, three hours of preaching. Each hour of the class was dedicated to listening to a classmate deliver a sermon, and then the class would give her or him feedback. It was terrifying the first time I ever preached this group. There's nothing much more vulnerable feeling than preaching to a group who you know are going to analyze everything from your delivery to your theology. I remember talking to a classmate who'd even been a professional actor prior to seminary, and she talked about how afraid she was of preaching her first sermon. I was surprised. But you're accustomed to being on stage. This must be easy for you. She said, no, if if people don't like me when I'm in a play, I can hide behind a number of things. Perhaps they don't like the play. Or they don't like the writer. Or they don't like my character. But preaching is using your own words. It's you, all alone, standing before people and then talking about God. There's nowhere to hide. I will say, though her words rang true, at least this class turned out fortunately to be a remarkably safe place to preach. The comments, for the most part, were thoughtful, insightful, and extremely helpful, and generally my classmates were kind in the things they had to say. One day in this class, I was preaching on a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, and the passage says, Judge not so that you may not be judged. Not surprisingly, I was preaching boldly about how we should not judge each other. After this sermon, we took a short break before delving into the feedback portion of the class, and one of my classmates pulled me aside to have a private conversation. He said, Dan, Dan, I get it. Jesus said, don't judge each other. But here's my question. If no judgment ever happens, we have a troubled world, right? We need some judging. So my question is, when do we get to judge? That's what I want to know. I've heard a lot about not judging, but when do we get to judge? It was a strange conversation because he was simultaneously giving voice to some of my inner thoughts, yet at the same time, His speaking aloud, these thoughts allowed me to see them in the cold light of day, and it made me ashamed that I secretly harbored them. If we believe in a world that is not perfect, 
then we eventually are going to be brought to the subject of sin and judgment. What we believe about sin, I think, determines a great deal about what we believe about judgment. So let's talk about sin. There are basically two opposing approaches when it comes to the notion of sin in the church, and these aren't from a textbook. These are just kind of what I have experienced in my life in parish ministry. And let me say that of these two particular positions on sin, both of these positions are prone to some hypocrisy with the adherence. And we'll point that out as we go along. The first position is that sin, well, is an outdated word, and we should purge it from the human lexicon, or at least from the church lexicon. God loves us all and wants us more than anything to know that we all are loved just the way we are. Going around talking about sin is contrary to the mission of spreading the good news of God's love. So let's not talk about it, and the whole world will be a better place. Church is a place to proclaim God's love for everyone, period. Not surprisingly, this tends to be the liberal end of the theological spectrum. And I've certainly known people who espouse this position. In truth, some of them are reacting to a judgmental church of their childhood. They felt judged and often even frightened by the angry, finger-pointing church they grew up in. So they're trying to get as far away from that as possible. I've generally found these people to really just want the church to be a place without judgment, a place where everyone is loved and affirmed. Interestingly, the hypocrisy in this point is often found as these people exit church and move into the world. The we should be all about proclaiming God is love people are very often willing to exit church, log onto Facebook, and be pretty unpleasant with some folks as they call others to to task for what they consider their wrongs. The other position in the perception of sin is that the church's job is to seek out, identify, and call to task sinners wherever they can find them. We are all potential sinners, but the church is the place that we go to be reminded, if we're not currently sinning, how easy it is to stray from the righteous path. These Churches tend to skew towards the conservative end of the spectrum. Interestingly, one might think, if you don't attend one of these churches, that it would be an uncomfortable place to attend. But many of the people who attend them find the opposite to be true. The church is abundantly clear about what makes a righteous person and what makes a sinner. And if you stay on the righteous side of those decisions, then you can sit comfortably in church and feel pretty good about yourself. Many years ago, I had a parishioner who was a proponent of this theological view on sin. And he said to me one time, he goes, Dan, the hypocrisy I often see in people on my end of the spectrum is that we cherry pick which sins we're going to talk about. It is as if we want to talk about sin, but only particular sins. We have our favorites that we want to harp on and seem to ignore all the others. The inherent hypocrisy that's common to both of these positions on sin 
is that they tend to be a bit situational. It depends on which sin or who we're talking about before we decide if we're going to be consistent in applying our theology. And in truth, that's the difficulty with any theology, isn't it? Anyone can have a theological stance. It's how willing you are to stick by it when life challenges you. Now, there are two types of sin that we should talk about. There's original sin and there's actual sin. So, original sin has historically been a central tenet of Christianity. It's the idea that Adam and Eve, who were born without sin into God's perfect creation, did something to break the system. And because of their action, now all of creation and all of humanity is tainted by sin. Now, as a quick aside, you don't have to be a biblical literalist to find this a powerful and useful story. At some point, the ancient Jews realized that if humanity and creation were made by God, shouldn't they be perfect? Yet there seems to be some brokenness baked into the system, witnessed in everything from tornadoes to human evil to the existence of cancer. So the fall of Adam and Eve is less about explaining how it happened and more about helping us understand that the world is this way. Though marvelous in many ways, it's not fully as God intended it to be. Part of that understanding from the Adam and Eve story is original sin. You're born with it. No one escapes it because it is a part of the human condition. On the other hand, actual sin is the thing most of us think about when we're talking about sin. These are the actions or lack of action that are considered sinful. And most of us have this kind of belief that children are born into the world sinless And it's only through growing up in society that they become sinners. When they are newborn, they are without sin because they haven't done anything. But the church tends to say, no, sin's not simply about what you do, but that you are human. And a bit of sinfulness is with you from your very first breath. Okay, now as a contemporary aside, interestingly, we are having a debate in our society about white privilege. And that debate can be rephrased using these theological terms. So some people rebel against this very idea of the existence of white privilege, but I haven't done anything. Or I grew up poor, so I didn't know any privilege as a white person. What they're arguing is the position of actual sin. I didn't participate in actual sin, so I'm not a part of this. While the people who are talking about white privilege are really saying it's a form of original sin, it isn't something you do or you don't do. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's also baked into the system. And in our society, you're a part of it from the very beginning, because as I said, it's baked in. So we've discussed the definitions of sin. So now we can venture directly into our quote. We have this quote. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Is that in the Bible? Well, no. Although it has kind of a biblical ring to it, doesn't it? Augustine of Hippo, and no, not the animal Hippo. It's the name of the place he was bishop. Anyway, Augustine 
the great theologian, said something like this, but he lived several hundred years after Jesus, so obviously nothing came from him that was in the Bible. Gandhi also said something that was similar, but not exactly the same, and we don't have anything by Gandhi in the Bible anyway. He was much later. But it has kind of a nice ring to it, at least initially. The point is obviously to say, we stand for what's right, while having compassion for all of God's people. And that's a pretty good stance, isn't it? At least it seems to be on the surface. So as we look at it a little closer, let's back up a bit. First, let's acknowledge something about this saying, and that it, it is never used by the person who is the assumed sinner. This phrase is absolutely exclusively used by the person who has deemed someone else to be a sinner. So the very nature of this phrase and the philosophy behind it is not one of love, but is instead one of judgment. I remember being in high school and meeting someone who told me that his grandmother had an awful habit that caused the whole family to be embarrassed when it happened. She would, whenever she saw a black child, call the child over, make them wait while she fished through her purse, and then she would give them a penny. When her family, who was mortified by this, asked her to stop, her defense was, you want me to stop being kind and generous? Sorry, that is my nature. But in reality, this gesture isn't about kindness or generosity. It's about establishing a pecking order. It's an action that is intended to communicate, I give to you because you are beneath me. My gift reminds us both of that power disparity. The smallness of the gift reminds you how enormous I believe that disparity to be. When a Christian says, love the sinner, hate the sin, we are tossing a condescending theological penny to someone who has not asked for the gift and more often than not disagrees with the moral disparity that our gift is so intent on pointing out. One of the things I learned early in my days of doing counseling with people is to watch carefully for the word but. When someone says to you a compliment and then follows it with a criticism and the two are joined by the word but, there's something very important happening. If somebody turned to me and said, Dan, You certainly have your good qualities, but you're a complete idiot. The reality is that the compliment is not intended to make the person feel good. The compliment is intended to absolve the person who is speaking of any guilt for what they really want to say, which is the second part of the sentence. In this example, the person really just wanted to tell me that I'm a complete idiot. Our phrase for the day, love the sinner, hate the sin, has an enormous implied but between the clauses. The person who uses this is saying, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. You can always, as I said, get to the root of this kind of sentence by striking everything before and including the but. In the end, 
This philosophy of loving the sinner but hating the sin has nothing to do with love. It's simply about hating the sin. And that is where we run into our problem. Hate is never a godly word. Hate is never a constructive word. There are lots of strong, passionate words that can lead later to productivity and even good. But hate, it's always a force that is intended on not only destroying the person or group towards which it is focused, but it is just as destructive for the person who carries the hate. Hate is hate and always is a force bent on destruction, period. So where does that place us? If we're trying to be people of God, trying to make the world a better place, isn't it our job to call out sin whenever we see it? Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. Yes, we all need to be agents of change in this world. Speaking from my personal experience, I'm always more interested in following a guide than a drill sergeant. As you may have heard in my podcasts, two of my passions are scuba diving and, of course, podcasting. For both, I'm a part of Reddit groups to help me become better. And if you don't know Reddit, think of electronic bulletin boards each having a specific subject to which interested parties can belong and post. So as I said, I belong to a podcasting and a scuba diving group, but there's a different group dynamic between my podcasting and my scuba group discussions. There's an element of shaming within the scuba group. There, the people who are more knowledgeable are frequently lecturing down to the new divers and making them feel stupid for things they say or the way they wear their equipment. Matter of fact, I said in a previous podcast, I have learned never to post a picture of myself and my equipment. I post pictures of fish, but never myself because I don't want to be personally criticized. The podcasting group tends to be different. When you admit a lack of knowledge and say that you're struggling to get something right, you're far more likely in that group to get some encouraging words and even a, oh yeah, me too, I went through that, or I'm going through it now. Rarely do I see someone get shamed in the Reddit podcast discussion. Not surprisingly, the more I belong to these two groups, the more I spend time in one and shy away from the other. Care to guess which is which? Do we live in a sinful world? You bet. Should we work tirelessly to make it better? Absolutely. The question is not if we should do those things, but how. There's a moment from the movie Matilda that's from the year 1996. If you haven't seen the movie, it's a movie about a gifted young girl, sensitive, bright, creative, who's born into a horrible family. And though the premise doesn't sound like it, this movie is fun, funny, and as the saying goes, it's the feel-good movie of the decade. At one point, 
She asks her father an honest question, but it just annoys him. And so he answers her, Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart. You're dumb. I'm big. You're little. I'm right. You're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. It stands out as a quote from the movie because the viewer immediately flinches at this kind of parenting. If you want to form a child into good decisions, this, this is not how you go about it. And it doesn't really work as a way for people of faith to change the world either. Yet Christians across the theological spectrum all too often go through life being the living embodiment of this and then wonder why no one is listening. Is love the sinner, hate the sin in Scripture? No, it's not. But you know what is? Matthew 7.1 Judge not, so that you may not be judged. Jesus encouraged his disciples to refrain from judging others. Instead, he teaches them to invite. He teaches them to form community. He teaches them to seek the lost. He teaches them to value the people society discards. And then to share the good news of God's forgiveness and love for the world. And if we do those things, the world will change. Because we will change. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. If you've enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, then chances are you know others who would enjoy it as well. I invite you to tell someone, tell a friend about it, share it with a family member, or recommend it on social media. It takes so little effort And who doesn't like to be invited? So I ask for your help. Let's invite others to be a part of this community of listeners. As always, my email is skypilot with three T's. That's S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.